Hello and welcome to FX Talk, an eBrie podcast all about the foreign exchange market, where we break down some of the main news headlines in financial markets and give our take on what these developments might mean for the world of FX. My name is Matthew Ryan, Senior Market Analyst here at eBrie, and I'm joined as always on the podcast by two of my colleagues, our Chief Risk Officer, Enrique Diaz-Alvarez, and Market Analyst, Roman Zuruk. Welcome everyone to another episode of FX Talk, and we have plenty to discuss today. It's been another busy, hectic, and, and pretty volatile couple of weeks in, in financial markets in general, and in particular, the FX market. We've seen volatility levels spike among some of the major and emerging market currencies. Levels of implied volatility in the euro, for instance, have risen to the highest level since the European debt crisis in 2012, as investors grow increasingly concerned about the possibility of a European recession during the winter months amid the ongoing energy crisis. Implied volatility levels in sterling have also risen to their highest level since the global financial crisis in 2009, after the UK government's controversial budget announcement. This heightened uncertainty in markets has triggered another fresh bout of risk aversion. The US dollar has risen to its highest level in 20 years against its basket of currencies. Euro dollar uh, briefly fell below the 0.96 level, and a handful of emerging market currencies have also traded at record lows, notably the Chinese yuan, albeit some of these uh, moves have retraced in the last few sessions. Uh, there is only one place to start, though, and that is to talk about the UK, in particular sterling and the reaction in the pound after uh, the, the budget announcement. Sterling was seen crashing to a record low against the US dollar below the 1. Uh, 1.04 level at one stage, which was a, a two-day move in excess of 7% at one stage uh, after the government announced massive tax cuts, more than the market was expecting, but provided no real indication as to how these will be funded. Markets have been concerned with two main consequences. Firstly, the impact of the budget on UK inflation and therefore interest rates. Um, And secondly, uh, the impact on UK government borrowing, which is expected to increase sharply as a result of the the reduction in tax income. Since the initial sell-off, the pound has recovered sharply. We'll talk about why that has been the case in just a minute. But before we do that, I wanted to touch on the potential implications for the UK economy. Uh, So, Enrique, what do you think are the economic consequences of this budget? Uh, And ultimately, why do you think the pound sold off to the extent that it did? I mean, I I think that the market reaction tells us how how dramatically different the economic macroeconomic context is now than it was. It has been for the last definitely since the financial crisis and perhaps even before that. Um, the the fact that uh, that the the announcement of massive unfunded uh, increases in I mean decreases in, in in taxation essentially fiscal stimulus had has had the exact opposite impact that it used to have. We used to live in a world uh, where uh, such announcements brought about an immediate destructing of the currency, thinking that uh, they are under the assumption that. They will be positive for growth, while inflation would not change much. Uh, we're in a completely different world. Uh, we're in a supply-constrained world. Um, really, the, the, the world as it was through uh, most of the uh, after World War, post-World War II period has returned. And that's why we saw this, this violent reaction uh, in the exact opposite direction from what we're used to, where unfunded uh, 
fiscal deficits brought about not just a depreciation of the currency instead of appreciation of the currency, but a, but a downright something close to a, to a, to a full-on uh, uh, bond market crisis. I think that it's, it's remarkable how much things have changed. And I think that the UK can probably serve as a sort of canary in the coal mine in the sense that, uh, that uh, markets are taking the, the bond vigilantes as back, as they, as they say, and markets are taking an increasingly negative view of, of uh, uh, structural imbalances between uh, uh, fiscal receipts and expenditures. Yes, I think that's a, a very good point. I mean, I think uh, the main concern so far among investors seem to be the impact on on UK inflation and therefore subsequently interest rates. Um, okay, it was the UK economy may be slightly better off in the near term as a result of the energy bill freezes, but if prices stay higher for longer, if interest rates are set to be raised more aggressively than previously believed, and that may well offset any positive ramifications for growth in the near term. Um, I think clearly, obviously, the government didn't account for this massive blow up in markets, um, particularly the sharp increase in bond yields, which obviously increases borrowing costs for UK government, also pushes up mortgage rates, for instance. Uh, for me, also a big impact is, is on consumer confidence um, from, from this budget. Um, consumers will now be worried about rising interest rates, higher mortgage costs, higher rent, inflation down the road. Uh, and that could have, a, 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 I think, a, a pretty large downside impact um, on consumer spending activity. Um, so all in all, outlook seems to have worsened rather than improved. Um, but we shall see. Anyway, since the initial yeah, sell-off, no. sorry, go on, Enrique. Yeah, no, I just I, I agree. To me, uh, one of the, the, the to one of the surprises is how quickly uh, it impacted general consumer confidence and and even electoral attitudes. I mean, this this uh, enormous swing in the polls just immediately after the budget is is a completely I think this very unusual uh, reaction uh, to what is usually a fairly anodyne. Uh, process, which is the, the announcement of the new budget, and the fact that it had this immediate impact, not just in consumer confidence, but even in the people's voting intentions, is quite unprecedented, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's obviously had to, the complete opposite reaction than they would have hoped for. I think, um, you know, sort of announcing sweeping tax cuts, ordinarily, you would think um, the UK population or a population would, would perceive that as as being a positive, and it would it would improve their they're standing in the polls, but, but clearly, uh, you know, the, the reaction we've seen has been the complete opposite to that. Uh, anyways, since the, the initial sell-off, sterling has recovered um, in the past few trading sessions. Now, actually, against the dollar, is trading roughly where it was um, prior to the budget announcement. Um, perhaps two main reasons as to why we have seen that recovery. First of all, we've seen intervention from the Bank of England in order to calm UK bond markets. Um, the Bank of England has announced that it will purchase unlimited amounts of bonds through to the end of October using its uh, reserves. We've also seen uh, a U-turn from the government on its decision to scrap the 45% tax bracket. Um, now, only a, a small fraction of this tax cost um, is made up of this, this top-tier tax bracket. It's only around 4% over the next couple of years. But that has at least seem to improve sentiment towards sterling, which, as I said, has, has recovered pretty sharply in the past few trading sessions. 
Um, so, Enrique, w- would you agree that these are the reasons for the recovery in the pound? Um, and do you think this this recovery rally is, is a sustainable one? I mean, the pound has recovered in line with, uh, at least partially, in line with uh, the risk asset pounds, right? Um, not not quite. It is, to be fair, it did start before that. Um, it is. It was already down quite a bit. In many, by many metrics, the pound is is very very cheap historically in terms of uh, purchasing power parity. Um, it's it's the cheapest it's been perhaps ever, certainly since the early '80s, and so that has something to do with it. Um, but uh, right now, uh, I think sterling is going to become increasingly a bellwether of uh, risk sentiment. Uh, if risk assets rally, the fund will rally, and, and uh, if they sell off, the fund will sell off. I think that uh, what could change that dynamic is some some further retreat and some, if not uh, complete, if not the uh, the replacement of of uh, the prime minister, which admittedly looks quite difficult to to imagine. Definitely further retreats on this uh, on this budget busting measures on the part of uh, the the Tory government could change that dynamic and bring about a, a more lasting rally uh, that is not dependent on, on on risk appetite in the rest of the world. Well, yes, I mean, I think we, we talked about this, um, this in the last podcast episode, actually. Uh, and my view was, that, uh, similar to what you've just voiced, Enrique, is that the pound is still very much undervalued at current levels. Um, and I would say, you know, over the, over the longer term, I still think we'll see a higher sterling. The problem is in the near term now. I, I don't necessarily think the pound is out, out of the woods just yet. Um, you know, the Bank of England's actions to, to calm the UK bond markets are of a temporary nature. Uh, the, those purchases are set to end at the end of October. Um, this U-turn that we've seen on the, the top tier tax bracket, as I said, is also only a very small amount of the overall tax cost. It's only around 4% over the next couple of years. So those concerns are still there. Um, and also, I mean, expectations for higher Bank of England rates, which have partly contributed to this rebound. Um, I think market pricing is now very high. Actually, at the moment, we're seeing financial markets pricing, uh, fully pricing 125 basis point rate hike at the November MPC meeting. Uh, so a bit of room for disappointment there as well. So so near term, I think perhaps, you know, a bit of down, downside for sterling, albeit, I agree with you, I think longer term, sterling still appears um, a bit undervalued. I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, the, the, an additional issue for the near term for the pound is, is that the, the Bank of England intervention in the market, while, while necessarily, it was absolutely necessary to stop this, this uh, cycle of uh, margin calls and further sales in the bond market, uh, in a way... Um, very directly goes against the goal of controlling inflation. So there's contradiction in now in in the U, the Bank of England's policies of first supporting the bond market through essentially further you know, money printing, which is monetary stimulus on the one hand, and on the other hand, trying to control inflation, which means that uh, rates will have to go higher and sooner than they would have otherwise. So to me, yeah, I agree that uh, for the, me- in the, in the long term, sterling may be undervalued, but um, that undervaluation is could be corrected by persistently higher inflation in the UK than elsewhere if the Bank of England tolerates it. So for me, the next meeting of the Bank of England is absolutely key uh, to see how much tolerance they have for inflation 
um, that's that's going to be uh, what decides my the the medium term trend of the of the pound entirely, in my view. Absolutely, and I think whatever happens, certainly in the next three or four weeks at least are going to be you know very interesting, and, and I expect volatility in sterling to remain elevated for some time yet. <laughs> Um, we're going to move on to Europe now, and, and one of the main pieces of economic data that we got out last week um, was the latest euro area inflation data for September, uh, which once again beat expectations. Headline inflation was up to 10% last month, the first time in double di- digits on record, um, following a sharp upside surprise in German inflation data, uh, with core prices um, also up to nearly 5%, uh, almost two and a half times the, the ECB's target. Um, that's helped the euro recover some of its losses at the time of recording. At least euro dollar is now back up to around the, the 0.99 level as markets increase bets in favour of higher European central bank rates. Um, but what do you make of this inflation data, Enrique? Uh, and what impact do you see this having uh, on European central bank policy? I think it's it's unambiguously bad news for the European central bank. Um, to me, I'm. I would even be generous and discount the, the, the a bit the, the double this headline. I mean, Europe has some idiosyncratic problems in the energy front that the U.S., for instance, doesn't have. But uh, the the core number, if anything, was more worrisome than the headline. It's still lower than the U.S. at four point eight versus roughly six. But a lot of that has to do with the way it's calculating and calculated, and more importantly, it shows no sign of of abating. Uh, it's it's a, it's almost a uh, straight up trend uh, in in the stickier prices uh, that are more persistent, that are much more likely to get embedded in in expectations and wage demands, etc. So, I I think that the market is, if anything, being a little bit too uh, blasé about the need for the European Central Bank to get very aggressive about raising rates. Uh, I I'm on the camp that sees a hundred basis points at the next meeting. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, I mean, we've talked about this internally. I think certainly the next uh, meeting, the debate is going to be uh, between a 75 and 100 base point hike rather than in the past couple of meetings or what have you, where it's been between a 50 yeah, that's, and 75. That's probably a more moderate view and a, a more correct than mine. Uh, we're going to see the debate increasingly gravitate between 75 and 100. Yeah. I, I, and for me as well, I think it makes it sort of, sort of my. Uh, confidence in our call that the ECB will hike rates uh, deeper into 2023 than the Fed. Um, you know, you've been talking about yeah. U- US inflation. We're seeing signs that that may have already peaked. Um, Eurozone inflation obviously clearly hasn't just yet, or at least we haven't seen signs of that. So, yeah, ECB is still well behind the curve, particularly relative to the Fed. Um, and yeah, it makes me increasingly more confident that the ECB will need to hike more aggressively than the Fed in the next sort of six months or so. So, so potential positive. Yeah, I think that that's, the euro. yeah that, that to me is the only positive uh, for the euro in the, in the near term, but it's a very significant one. And perhaps another one is that the sentiment is so negative on the euro. After we crossed down parity, uh, it was hard to find any strategies that still was able to keep a, a positive outcome on the euro. And again, yes, there's, there's a lot of, uh, reasons to be bearish the euro, but there's a couple of important reasons to be positive and and I don't think that people might be overlooking them. Yeah, no, I agree. 
Um, excellent. So, so we're going to move on now and, and go on to our, our final topic for today. And um, we'll talk uh, briefly about the US dollar, um, which, as I said, retreated from its highest level in 20 years in the past few trading sessions. Um, and since our last episode, we've had um, the Federal Reserve meeting for September, which delivered yet another hawkish, hawkish message. Um, interest rates were raised by another 75 basis points. No real surprises there. But uh, the dot plot of interest rate projections was revised much higher. Not only does the Fed open the door to another 75 basis point hike in November, but it also suggested that rates will stay higher for longer into 2023, i.e. sort of little possibility of rate cuts for some time yet. As I said, this helped lift the dollar uh, to its highest level in 20 years, at least the US dollar index to its highest level in 20 years. Um, but it has since retraced um, some of these losses against its major peers. Um, so what are your thoughts um, on the latest Fed announcement, Enrique? And what do you think this means for U.S. interest rates? I mean, it's not surprising. I think that um, I was always expecting the terminal rate for this trade cycle to be closer to five and to four. We're there. We're at, you know, around four and a half, maybe 4.4 after the, the rally of the rates in the last couple of days. Um, the big question is, where do we go from there? It's clearly rates are going to go to somewhere between four and five very quickly. And to me, what is not entirely clear is what the next move will be. Will it be higher or lower? Or will it stay there essentially permanently? And I think that uh, the expectations for lower rates in the years after 2023 are still too optimistic. I think that this is the new normal, which is Actually, like for us having the market for a while, it's it's more like the old normal. And, you know, with rates are at four, five, six percent in order to keep inflation in check. Um, I think that uh, there's still a gap between market expectations in the years beyond 2023 and reality. But I also think that this gap is even bigger in other economic areas like the Eurozone. And that's it from us. If you're keen to hear more about our thoughts on the FX market, visit Ebreed's website or follow us on social media. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to hear more on during upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for our next episode in a fortnight's time. Thank you all very much for listening. <laughs>